0: Well, hasn't it been good today to be in worship? <laughs> Tony, thank you for being here today, man. It's uh, uh, great having you. I'm going to put you on the spot right now. You name it, but come and lead us in something when we're done today. We're going to close out. That, that wasn't planned. I don't care if you reprise something we just did or you pull it out of your hip pocket, but let us, let's worship with one more song when we're done, all right? you got, you got time to think about it. Thanks. Good to have you here today, and uh, we are going to turn to God's word uh, as we study it now, and uh, that's actually what we're going to talk about today: is about studying God's word. We're in a series. If you haven't been here the past three weeks, so let me just catch up to speed really quickly. We're in a series that's entitled "The Path to Progress." Everybody, we, we know all of us want to make progress. We don't want to stay where we are. We're at the early parts of 2017. When we get to the end of the year, we don't want to be where we started the year, right? We all want to make progress, but here's the big question that we all wrestle with: How? Do I really make progress in my relationship with God. How do I really draw closer? I mean, there are a lot of us in the room, a lot of people watching and listening online who've been believers for a long time. And you sort of tend to get to a place if you're not really careful where you feel like, I don't know if I'm making progress. I sort of feel like I'm in a rut. I'm kind of where I've been for a long time. How do you make progress in being much more intimate in your relationship with God? But more than that, Uh, In addition to that, how do you make progress in terms of laying to rest the old baggage and junk in your life that you have tried so many times to get rid of and you've had all those little short periods of success only to have it creep back in? How do you make progress in those areas and how do you make progress in building the things into your life that you know should be there and as many times as you've tried, you fall off the wagon again and again and you wind up right back where you started? How do you make lasting progress? The answer to that, in large part, can be just spelled out in one simple thought. The spiritual disciplines are the biggest key to making real progress in life. Now, we're spending all of this winter focusing on just that. On really building back into our lives the Christian spiritual disciplines which position us in just the right spot to receive a special measure of grace and power from God. Because we know for a fact that for the really big stuff, I mean the things that have lingered in our lives that we struggle with, you cannot make progress in overcoming those things or building the right stuff into your life that you've struggled with for so long. You can't do it without God's power. Amen? Or oh me, I'm not sure which. But we, we can't do it apart from God's power. So how do you tap into God's power? The disciplines are the key. They position us for that. So we've we've spent the month of January focusing on the four inward spiritual disciplines. These are going to be the ones that you're most familiar with. We talked initially about meditation about learning to hear God's voice. We've talked about prayer and last week about fasting. And today we're going to cover the final of the four inner disciplines. And then beyond today, we're going to be talking about the outward disciplines and then the corporate disciplines that we share in together. And those may sound a little less familiar, but they're vitally important. And you're going to see some of these are a lot of fun, but they all tap us into intimacy with God and power from God. So the final of the four inward disciplines is the discipline of study. I had some folks last week who were really honest, who let me know, and I planned it the way that I did. You know, normally I'll send out little teasers and stuff on Facebook to let you know what's coming, and I didn't advertise at all what was coming last week, because nobody gets fired up about a message about fasting. That is just not one that people line up for, and I didn't advertise in advance what we're talking about today, because the discipline today is the discipline of study. The truth be told, about half of us hear that word and probably go, Ooh. Study, that was what I always tried to dodge in school, right? That's the thing, you try to do the least amount you could and still get an A, right? Well, let me just go ahead and let a little of the air out of the balloon on the front end. When we talk about study today, as you're going to discover, a large portion of what we're talking about doesn't have anything to do with books. A fraction of it does. But a lot of what we're going to talk about with the discipline of study will be about things that aren't written down. It won't be about sermons and a large portion of it won't be about lectures, but it's an important discipline in our lives. Now, as a beginning point, if you want to pull out your outline, I'll just remind you that the purpose of the disciplines is the total transformation of the person, replacing old, destructive habits with new, life-giving ones, and that is certainly the case with what we're talking about today. So, we open with a familiar text it's Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul said, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Let's all say that together. Let God transform you. Let Him transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Don't you love that thought that God is in the process of transforming you into a new person? Uh, think in these terms. Do you remember what it's like to have just driven your car until you're not sure the wheels are going to stay on much longer? You know, when it's got 180 or 200 or 200 plus thousand miles on it and it's got more rattles and shimmies and shakes to it. And you've had a check engine light that's been on for the last three years running and you are just dying to put that thing out of its misery. And the day finally comes when you can go to the dealership and trade that sucker in and get a new car. How good does it feel to drive away in a brand new ride? It's so quiet. It's so smooth. It smells good because you've traded the old for something brand new. Friends, that's just a little bit of a glimpse of what God is ultimately wanting to do in our lives. He is wanting us to do a trade-in. He wants us to trade in the old version of us that's so hung up on lousy habits and and can't build in the right habits. And just a, a life that we wish we could trade in. For a life that's pleasing to him. And that's so much more satisfying for us. If today, if you could truly sign on the line and do a trade-in of the life that you've had for the life that God wants for you. How many of you today would do that, that life trade-in? Sign me up. That's what Paul's talking about here when he says, let God transform you into a new person. But here's the catch. If you're going to become that new person, God will always do it this way. He's going to have to change the way you and I think in order to change the way that we live. You believe that? You, you can't change your behavior without changing what's going on in your noggin. You've got to think differently in order to live differently. So God's in the process of making a new, church, new person out of you. But along the way, he's got to change the way that you think. And so to that end, Paul says in passages like Philippians 4.8, So fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about. Everybody say, think about. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So you see, this, the discipline of study is the discipline that becomes the primary vehicle to help us think about These things, these things that are going to transform the way that we live our lives. Now, when you look at that list, Philippians 4, 8, the things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, worthy of praise. Everybody across the board is going to say, yes, we ought to think about those things. Those are the kinds of of things that ought to be in our minds right on. But do you ever measure those adjectives and that verse against the things that we set our attention on? You may be going, what do you mean by what we set our attention on? What helps you to focus your attention on something else in your free time or through the hours of the day? I'll give you two good starting points. The music that we listen to and the movies and TV shows that we watch, right? At least at some level, our attention is drawn to those things. This needs to become a template for us. If I need to fix my attention on things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise, I ought to stop and think about what I'm pouring into my mind. Because the more I pour those things in that don't match up to this list, the more my behavior is going to deviate from what God wants. Are you with me? Yeah, about three of us are there. Are you with me? Yeah, yeah, this is the hard part of the message. This is the challenging part. It doesn't mean that we can't ever listen to anything or watch anything that you know isn't about Jesus, but it does mean that we ought to give careful consideration to what we pour in. It's that old adage of garbage in, garbage out. If all we ever listen to and all we ever watch is stuff that's far from excellent and worthy of praise and pure, then we can't expect that our lives are going to reflect. Just goodness and the love of God and faith. So he says you've got to be intentional about getting your mind around these things. How do we do that? Well, what we study determines the kinds of habits that we will form. Now again, I know immediately our minds are probably running to what we study, but I don't really study anything. I'm I'm out of school. There are probably a number of us who would say, I can't remember the last time I read a book. Don't worry about it. We're not just talking about reading books. We're talking about what we focus our minds around. Everyone here, everyone you know, everyone is a student. Everyone studies something. Everybody does. Study is about focusing your mind, focusing your attention on something. So everybody's studying something. Today, we want to be really intentional in thinking about What do I want to focus my mind and attention around? Because what you study determines how you behave. It absolutely does. Do you agree with that? What you study is going to determine how you're going to live. That's why... The Lord reminded his people in Deuteronomy 11, 18. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. He's talking about the commands that he's given in his word. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. He, he's saying you just get it wherever you have to so that your attention is brought back to it again and again. Wherever you have to put it, you want your attention drawn again and again to this. Because I understand that where your attention is drawn, what you focus on and study will determine how you live your life. And I'll just tell you this. You know plenty of good, church-going, praying Christians who are still living their lives in bondage because they don't practice the discipline of study. Now, we don't think about it in those terms, but it's a fact. Consider what Jesus said in John 8, 32. It's one of the most quoted verses of all the things that Jesus said recorded in the gospels, and yet, like so many other things, we love to quote half a verse when we quote John eight thirty two. We all know, you know, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Because we all love the promise part of every promise in the Bible. We love the the receiving part. Woo, we want to be free. The truth will make us free, so give us the truth and we'll be free. We love to leave out the front half of all of these verses, don't we? Where Jesus said to complete that thought, if you hold to my teachings, there's the pivotal word, if. So you don't just get this no matter what. You only get this if you hold to the teachings of Jesus. He says, then you're really my disciples and then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Let's say that last line together. The truth will set you free. Try it again. The truth will set you free. Do you believe that? It's really important for us to get that ecstatic experiences, as much as they'll give us chill bumps, they don't get you free. Doing a lot of woo-woo in church feels good, and it will lift your spirit. It won't set you free. It won't. Jesus said the truth will set you free. And the truth is not just some vague notion that's floating around out here. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. But the truth is also everything that proceeds from the mouth of Jesus. What Jesus has taught will set you free if you let it sink in and become a part of how you live your life. The core of how you live your life. He says you wrap your life around that. You'll be free. But that's a serious condition. We've got to get the truth into us in order to be free there are a lot of people who are messed up they're still in bondage they're confused they're totally hampered because they've either never faithfully practiced the discipline of study and nothing can take the place of this i mean we've all tried our own version of skipping out on study most of us found ways to get through parts of school skipping it amen or Ome. Oh We we found ways to get around it for a while. Those of us who stayed in school for very long eventually hit a wall somewhere where it got hard enough. We had to learn to study, and the book under the pillow just never worked for most of us. We actually had to learn how to study. But the people who don't learn the Christian discipline of study... They stay in bondage. They stay in a bad place. A lot of times they'll get sucked into false doctrine. And they'll start believing in stuff and trying stuff that doesn't work. And then they'll just get burned out. And they believe that the God thing doesn't work. Because they believed some liar on TV who made all kinds of promises that weren't based on the truth. And they took his word for it instead of knowing the truth. Don't you know what I'm talking about? And then they tried it and it didn't work for them. And somebody said, oh, your faith just wasn't big enough. And eventually they give up on faith a lot of times. That's tragic. You know what gets us there? We haven't been anchored in the truth. We haven't practiced the discipline of study and made the Word of God central for us. So that's where we're going today. The discipline of study, as we've said, it it involves more than just written books. It involves two, quote, books to be studied. And we can call these verbal and nonverbal books. Now, when we talk about verbal books, obviously that's all the stuff that's written down. But verbal books... For what we're talking about today, it's not just what's written. It's all the stuff that is truly verbal. So, you know, you're experiencing a book in that sense. This is one of the verbal books. When you listen to a sermon, when you listen to a lecture, when you watch a a video where somebody's teaching or giving some kind of instruction, all of that's on the verbal side. But the other portion, which, oh, by the way, is more than half of the discipline of study or needs to be, It's all the nonverbal books that are out there. It's all the things that you need to focus, be intentional in focusing your attention on. And learn from and reflect on and grow through the study of. And so for those of us who are like, oh, I don't want to think about having to have my head in a book all the time. That's not where we're going. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about learning to be a student of of the right things. And I'm going to share with you later in the message what we mean when we say the nonverbal books that we need to give uh, study, the discipline of study to. So, first of all, I'm going to say a word about the study of verbal books and, and how we do that better. Because the truth be told, some of us have never gotten that one down. Even just the concept of studying the Bible. I know a lot of good, faithful Christians who feel quite lost in trying to study the Bible even. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. and Then we'll talk about how do we do the discipline of study with the nonverbal books. First of all, the study of verbal books. Paul said to Timothy in the very last letter that he ever wrote that we have in, uh, in the Scriptures in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Study. Everybody say, Study. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What's he talking about? This is what he's talking about. There, there goes the verbal book there. He, he's talking about the written Word of God. And he's saying, be a student of the Word of God. You don't need to to ever be caught in a position where you're, you're lost and have to be ashamed because you don't have any clue what the Word says about something. Be a student of the Word. Paul reminds us a chapter later in that same letter. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So we we can all agree together this is central. This book, that's really not one book, it's 66 books. But this is the central piece for us. And so when we talk about study, this is going to be a big part of the of the book part of study as we want to get more of the word into us. And so this is not in your outline, but and I'm just going to... I know you, you probably know this, but I'm going to say this just by way of reminder, take a couple of minutes to just point out. When we talk about effective study, because there's a lot in our culture that's not helping us to become students of anything helpful, I'm just going to remind you of the four parts that are involved in study. The first one is repetition. You've always heard the old adage, repetition is the mother of learning, and it absolutely is. Going back to the same will again and again and again, not just so that there's some vague knowledge of it, but we return particularly to the scriptures again and again. We read passages that we've read countless times over many years again and again because repetition is vital to bringing about real transformation. It's interesting. I mean, of course, the word has unique power to transform us. We understand that. But it's interesting how repetition and learning transforms us. And, and this may sound goofy to you, but it's the truth. Repetition, even if it's something as, as simple as, you know, that idea of looking in the mirror and saying to yourself, I love myself unconditionally. Now some of us would just, I I know some of you are looking at me like, oh, okay, whatever. I don't care whether you ever do that or not. That's not the point of what I'm saying. But if you do that every day, you don't even have to feel it when you say it. If you do it long enough, it will begin to change the way that you see yourself. Repetition sinks in over time. So it's worth remembering that what you say again and again has power. Some of us don't even realize how many times we will say negative things about ourselves or about our situations or about the future or about those around us and it's actually changing our perception. Repetition has the power to change. And so repeatedly going to the Word is why memorization's is a, a, a big deal. It gets the Word down into us at a deeper level and it's why, once again, the music that we listen to and the movies that we watch, but especially the music that we listen to, has a power to transform us. I mean, think about songs that you haven't heard in 30 years, but you loved to listen to when you were a kid or when you were a teenager. You can remember every word of those songs, can't you? It's crazy. And, it you know, you'll get a song stuck in your head. And how many times will you sing it in a week when a song gets totally stuck in your head? Don't you hate it when a dumb one gets stuck in there? repetition, I, I don't know how that works. I wish I could find the, but, the off button because sometimes I'll get stuck on the dumbest songs. But it just is a reminder. Repetition has the power to change. So we need to be careful what it is that we're putting in. The second uh, part of, of basic uh, effective study is beyond repetition is concentration. We all know that. But the reason that it's important to point this out, concentration is about focus. And we live in a culture... That works against focus all the time. I mean, you realize that just the climate of our culture is everybody's supposed to be multitasking all the time. And we do. And it's got us jacked up because of it. I mean, I'm just blown away to watch. Like, this is... What happens on Sunday morning is almost an anomaly in our culture today. You realize it? I mean... I feel honored that when I look across the room, there are people in all three sections looking at me and at least pretending to listen to me. I mean, even if you're thinking about something else, thanks for pretending. But do you realize how unique this is? Like, think about in a normal day how little time we spend just doing one thing. It's like, oh, I've got to have the music playing. Oh, if I'm watching TV, I've got to have my smartphone up or my iPad or my laptop up, and I'm, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. You know, I've got a conversation going on. I've got the TV going on. I've got my computer going on. And we, we're just all over the place. Learning is not happening while that's taking place, not at any significant level, because repetition and concentration allow for real learning to take place. We've got to learn to get back to having blocks of time where we're just doing one thing at a time because concentration has real power. And then, of course, the, the third C is comprehension. We all know this, but I mean comprehension is the aha moment. We've all spent plenty of time when we're reading books that it's like, well, I read it. I don't know what I read. I don't have any idea what that was about. But I read it. Check the box. I mean, how many times in your quiet time have you ever done that? I had a quiet time. I don't have any earthly idea what that was about, but I had a quiet time. Well, we're all going to have those days, and we need to continue on through those days. But the truth be told, we probably didn't gain a lot in those moments. We need to repeat as often as necessary, focus, concentration until we get to the aha moment of going, I get it. I get what he's saying. I I think I understand what 's going on here, and then that brings us to the last piece in this the the four parts of study and learning it 's an r it 's r c c r it 's repetition, uh, concentration, comprehension, and then reflection in reflection. this is where learning has the potential to really transform us it 's where we then pause to consider. What does that mean, and more importantly, what does that mean for me? How does that intersect with my life? Do I need to do something with that, or about that, or in response to that? What's the real meaning of this this teaching, or this idea? And so, in the reflection part, we grasp not only the subject matter, but we now understand ourselves better as a result of that. And that's key in this. Okay, you with me? RCCR. Now, moving right on along. Let's, let's just talk for a minute about, okay, so when I'm doing study, what does that look like? Now, let me be real clear in this. When it comes to the Bible itself, there are a bunch of things that you can do with the Bible that are positive. There's all kinds of different levels of interaction with the Scriptures, and they're pretty much all good. Just devotional reading, meditating on the Word, memorizing the Word. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to approach the Word. Most of those we're already very familiar with, but actually studying the Word is the one that I find more people are unfamiliar with. So I'm not in any way um, diminishing the importance of all the other things that we would do with the Word. I'm just going to focus in briefly on how we study the Word because so many people don't feel like they are comfortable with how do you really study the Bible. So just a, a quick um, cursory look at, at how to study the Bible. You begin with, first of all, just three basic levels of analysis where you're essentially asking three questions. And when you're really going to focus in and study a passage, this may not just be your typical daily devotion, but you really want to study it, you you start, and it may oftentimes take you three readings to do these three levels. The first one is just the understanding level. What's the author saying? And I'll tell you that even in my quiet times, I've made it a discipline. It, It helps, by the way, Uh, to enhance learning when we're doing study if you'll you'll journal something out of what you've read. And so every day I, I journal a little bit out of what I've read. You know the old saying, thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through our lips or fingertips. You get the meaning behind that. I've really come to understand something much more clearly if I've thought about it to the point that I can either tell you the idea or I can write it out. Now it's not just something out there that you said or you wrote. I've digested it because I can, can write it back out. So in my journaling, I will at least summarize what I read for the day. That's the first level. Do I just understand what the passage said? First question, what did, what did the author say? The second level is interpreting. A lot of times it'll take at least a second reading to get there. Now I, I know what he said. Now I'm asking the question, but what does he mean? This is the point at which with the Bible, we're saying, okay, I know what took place here. I can repeat it back to you. Here's what happened, or here's the issue that Paul's addressing here. I can tell you what it was, but now I've got to wrestle with the question of, but why is it there? I mean, of all the things that God could have included in His Word, of all the things the gospel writers could have said that Jesus did while He was on earth, most of it got left out. He included this one. What's the significance of this particular teaching, of this particular dialogue or occurrence? What's the real meaning behind that? And then the third level, and this requires some reflection, is evaluating. Now, particularly when we're looking outside the Bible, we're asking the basic question of, okay, I get it. I get what he's saying. I get what he means by that. Now, is he right? Now, for most of us who have come to faith and have come to appreciate the authority of Scripture, we're not so much wrestling with, is it right? We're wrestling with the further question. Is like, okay, so what should I do with that? I get what he said. Now, I understand what he means. But what does that mean for me? What do I do with that? How, How do I have to adjust in response to that? You see those three levels? It's not complicated, but... It helps for me in journaling to do that. Can I jot down at least two or three or four sentences to summarize what the passage has said? But now can I react and interact with the passage as to what does that mean? And now what am I supposed to be doing with this? You see, this is where the word has a unique Function in our lives because it becomes an opportunity for us to encounter the living God speaking through His Word, and He's always speaking in a way that calls me to respond. So, okay, those are what we might call the intrinsic levels of analysis. I'm just interacting with what's written on the page and the God who's behind that. But obviously, there are some extrinsic things that we can bring in to the discipline of study, and I'll just mention three of those. The first one is personal experience, where I'm asking the question now, how does that line up with my experience and how, you know, does my experience help me to really appreciate this? Can you consider somebody who is totally unfamiliar with the gospel, with Christianity or the Bible, who for the very first time you give them the gospels and they read of the passion of Christ? They've never encountered that before. So they read about what happened on Thursday evening as Jesus is betrayed by all of his closest friends, as he's arrested, he's. He's beaten, he's tortured, he's put through all these mock trials, and then he's slowly tortured and executed the next day. Now somebody might just read that and go, wow, what a true, terrible tragedy has occurred here. So sad and unfortunate that this religious leader would be abandoned by those who profess to follow him, and then he dies as a result of all this. What a sad story. How different is your understanding, even as an outsider looking in, if you can at least begin to read that through the lens of personal experience? Instead of it being a, a story that's just sort of out there to go, wow, that's, that's kind of weird and, and kind of sad. If you read it and consider, what was it like to be a part of that narrative? What was it like to be a follower of Jesus, somebody that you've come to completely believe in, and who you've been so certain that he would assume this role of leadership that would just bring immediate freedom from the power of Rome and for the people of Israel, and to see him suddenly snatched away and tortured and murdered. Have you ever in your own experience had a moment where you believed something was going to turn out a certain way, and then in an instant of time everything was turned around, and what you thought was going to be a moment of victory seems to be the darkest hour of your life. Or or to even read it from Jesus' perspective, on the night when he's abandoned, have you ever been through a time of personal abandonment? Have you ever been through a season where you just felt like all your friends forgot your phone number and, and left you? What did that feel like? When you read about Jesus, the the passion itself, and, and you read about his suffering, and you imagine the physical pain, and you pause to remember, what's the worst pain you've ever felt in your life? The worst physical pain you've ever known. Are you following me where I'm going in this? We need to take the time to allow our own experience to actually connect with what we're reading about. Because most of the things that we'll read and study... We have some level of personal experience that would inform what we're reading so that it's no longer just this, this story that's sort of out there. Mm, that's interesting. It becomes something that's much more real, right? Because we've had experiences of, of abandonment and loss and disillusionment and pain. And then the second extrinsic thing, this is the most obvious one, is uh, if you're doing study, use the other books and resources that are available to you. We're, we're talking about studying the Bible You know, I'm going to use Bible dictionaries and and atlases and uh, commentaries. And and I'm going to use, I always uh, use a a cross-reference Bible, even when I'm not using a study Bible, just my my daily use Bible. I'm always using one that's got all the cross-references listed because that becomes an extrinsic opportunity for study. That it's beyond the passage. There are all these other passages that speak to the same issue. And so we have the ability to cross-reference and pull these other things in, and that's a key piece of doing study well. And then the final thing that I'll mention is, and this is actually a big one, and that is that live discussions become a major part of study and real learning. Small groups are, are a great example of how we do live discussions. This is the Socratic method of learning. Where we learn as we together discuss and pull on this and interact together. And I've been very intentional in building multiple different layers of this into my life. I I practice this with my own small group. Um, I practice this every Monday morning. Each year I'm I'm with a different group of men that we're going through a discipleship process together. And we're always studying something together. And so we'll spend half or more of our meeting where we're talking together and wrestling with the thing that we're studying that week. And learning is happening while we do that. I, I also have a group of pastors I've shared with you before that I meet with. Uh, Every two months, we do a little mini retreat for five hours. It's a half-day retreat, and a big portion of that time, one big block of time, is we each take a turn where it's our responsibility, as we talk about it, it's your turn to throw a bone in the middle of the circle. You're supposed to throw a bone with some meat on it in the circle in the form of, here's a passage. Here's a truth that God's been building into my life that he's been teaching me about. And the deal is not for me to sit here and be the lecturer and to teach you about it. I'm going to just very succinctly say something about this. I may have more questions than answers, but this is something that I'm wrestling with from the scriptures. And we put it out there, and then we just all begin to pull on it. We all begin to wrestle with it and share. And I can't tell you how much learning and real development takes place in those times when just a handful of us do this. As we wrestle together, we focus our attention completely on this listening to each other, searching the word together. Important stuff happens in those moments. Now, all of those are around formal Bible study, but, you know, not everything has to be just Bible study. Jackie and I right now are doing a, a book together. Uh, it's called Love Talk, and it's, it's just designed for marriage enrichment. Got the idea from Patrick and Darlene, who are doing the same book. Thanks for sharing That's really good stuff. Um, it's, it, it's just built around the idea that, hey, every relationship revolves around one thing more than anything else. Your ability to communicate. And a lot of people don't understand each other very well, especially men and women, because we speak different languages. Women... Men speak man and women speak womenese or something, you know. And so we need to really work at understanding each other. So we're reading a book together, and then there's a workbook that you do with it. And so we read the book, underlining and rereading. Then we do the workbook part where you have to interact and answer questions and all. But then we take an hour or more each week, and we sit down And we talk about this back and forth. Let me tell you, as good as the reading and the workbook stuff is, by far the most important learning is when we sit toe to toe and we wrestle with this. And we really wrestle too. We are both strong minded, strong willed people. And so we're, you know, we're really wrestling with what this teaching is. We all need this. We all need to be intentional students. Pick out what matters. My marriage really matters. I want, to, I want to spend the rest of my life loving this woman. And I want to love her better in a year than I love her today. And I want to love her a lot better in 10 and 20 years than what I love her right now. And so I'm going to be intentional in focusing some time, thought, and attention on learning to love her well. I want to love God well. And so I want to be intentional to... Engage my mind. You remember what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the discipline of studies about learning to love God with your mind. So one other thing we'll say. Actually, two, two things. I was about to skip something important. When it comes to studying the Word, I just want to throw this out as just a, a thought for you to consider. I said there's many different ways to interact with the Word of God. But when we study the Word, hitting it from a variety of different altitudes is very helpful. Sometimes, what I mean by that is, sometimes you want to come in really low altitude where you just are looking at just this one little section or maybe this one verse. Sometimes it can be one line that you just need to meditate on and study and get into. But other times you need to be much higher altitude. You'll see it from a different perspective if you get a higher altitude. And so a couple of ways to do high altitude study is... To sit down and read an entire book, sometimes the longer books of the Bible, in one sitting. If you will read the book of Acts in one sitting, which many people have never bothered to do. It will take you a couple of hours or so to do it. You read Acts in one sitting the way that you'd read a novel, you'll see it differently than you've ever seen it before. You see the unfolding plan of God through the sending of the Spirit and the birth of the church and God just taking this planet. Through the church empowered by the Holy Spirit. It takes on a different form when you read it all at one time. Read the book of Genesis in one sitting. You'll see it differently. In addition to that, a different way of doing the same thing is for smaller books or smaller sections of Scripture. For example, if, you're gonna, if you want to study the book of James or Ephesians or Philippians, or here's a really good one, the Sermon on the Mount the most significant one body of teaching ever from the lips of Jesus Matthew 5 6 and 7 so these are fairly you know short passages that it's easy to read in a few minutes read the entire book or the entire sermon on the mount whatever that you know the passage is read the entire thing every day for 30 days you'll never see it the same it will get into you at a level that's never gotten into you before so We'll say that in terms of study of the word. One other word about study of of verbal books. And that is we really also along the way need to do some reading and study of Christian classics. And I'm not trying to just load you up with read, 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 read. But over the years to just let yourself from time to time pick up some of the Christian classics that have spoken to believers across cultures. In massive numbers, and I've just given you five examples. We could make a much longer list. But C.S. Lewis's classic work, Mere Christianity. Anything Lewis wrote is worth reading. But Mere Christianity is the gold standard by him. Um, uh, Brother Lawrence's Practice of the Presence of God. I, I'm, I'm just curious. I've never asked the question before. How many of you have read Brother Lawrence's Practice of the Presence of God? A couple of folks. Such a wonderful work. Wouldn't you commend that as, as worthy of it, of reading? It's about this big, literally. It's written by a, a 17th century layman uh, who was a cook and dishwasher in a monastery, but who had an amazing walk with God and just shared out of that how we can have a moment-by-moment relationship with God. Uh, the Imitation of Christ by Thomas Thomas a. Kempis It's a c- couple hundred years older, uh, Maybe the greatest classic from the Middle Ages. Uh, from the 20th century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. Most of you uh, probably know Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor, German pastor, who opposed the Nazi regime. And in the final weeks before the war in Europe was ended, uh, cost him his life because of his opposition to the Nazi regime. But, oh my goodness, a man who knew what it meant to walk with the Lord and pay a high price to be a disciple of Jesus, and, and his cost of discipleship is one of the greatest works of the 20th century. And Watchman Nee, who is one of my all-time favorites, of, of all those on this list, probably of all the writers I could think of, his writings have probably impacted me more than anybody outside of the Bible. Um, I could mention any number of titles that are worthy of reading, but The Normal Christian Life is probably the best, that, or the the great little book, uh, Sit, Walk, Stand, which is Uh, His writing on the book of Ephesians. Great stuff. Anyway, all those just examples to say. We need to also beyond the scriptures. Be letting some of these classics. And even the biographies of Christian greats. Be a part of our reading. Because those impact us. Now the goal here. Hear me say this. The goal is not. To get you to just read and study more and more and more books. Because it's not by amassing tons of books that you've read. But it's by actually Really getting what you've read. So even if you only read a few, to spend enough time in it that you really get it and it becomes a part of your thinking that's vital. So alright, enough said about verbal books. Let me say just a little bit about the study of nonverbal books. This is the least recognized and probably the most important part. Of study, It's the observation of reality and the meaning of things, events, people, interactions, and relationships. So I'm just going to give you um, four examples of, of nonverbal types of study. The first one is just begin with nature. There's so much that God wants to reveal about himself and teach us about himself, about life, and about our, us uh, through nature. Isaiah 55, uh, Tate read this passage as a part of the call to worship. It says, the mountains and hills will birth burst forth into song, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. God speaks through nature. Psalm 19:1. the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. To just realize there is so much to be learned about life and God out in the world. Do you realize that Solomon had people travel, the wisest man that ever lived, people traveled from all over the world to hear him lecture on nature. The observations that he had made by studying nature. Nature reveals the creator behind it. And so just taking the time, first of all, to get out in the world. It's one of the dangers of of life today that you could live most all of your life under a roof. And we need to get out in the world and be intentional to be there. And when you're out there, take some time to turn off the music. Take some time to be alone in nature. I don't care if I sound like a hippie. Listen to the birds sing. Listen to the sounds that nature makes. Nature is giving praise to God. I used to think that was so wacky. Like, nature can't praise God. Yes, it can. God loves nature. God made it all, and he made it to give him glory. When birds sing the song that they instinctively sing, they are singing to the glory of God. When flowers Just bloom in all of their color and their beauty. They bring glory to God through their beauty. Look at the flowers. Listen to the birds. And just be a student of the world that God has made. It's not worshiping nature. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about taking in what God has put around us. One day, Jackie and I went down to the Fairhope Pier and the the rose garden, so much of the year is just amazing. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to to go through it. There are, when you just first glance, you'll think, oh, they've got five or six different kinds of roses. Oh, no. They have dozens of different varieties. It's incredible. You know, some of them, they'll only have an, one plant of that particular variety. And we just took the time to go through and to just really look at and s- literally smell of just every single variety in there. I can't tell you what comes from that, but something really good does. Be a student of nature. Secondly, be a student who observes human interactions. Watch how people interact with people. Christians ought to be the very best at understanding people and relationships. Life's all about love and relationships. We ought to be students of relationships. And I'll tell you one thing you'll observe if you do this. People today don't know how to just act. We spend most of our time explaining, defending, and justifying our actions. We can't just live and be and just let it lie. We've we've got to defend. We've got to explain. We've got to make sure we've we've made it all good. Just watch how people interact and be a student of, of that. Learn from other people. Also, thirdly, learn from your own behavior. You remember what Jesus said in Luke 18 about the two men that he saw that approached the temple to... To approach God, and and one of them was a professional religious man, the Pharisee in Luke 18. Jesus said in verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. You know he's in trouble already, right? He obviously doesn't know anything about himself. God, I just thank you I'm not a sinner like everybody else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. He didn't have a clue about his own life. And it's easy to point a finger at him. But it's amazing how much we don't even understand about ourselves. Do you ever just pause to consider certain things about yourself like... Why do I like the people that I like and can't stand the people who drive me crazy? I mean, why do I like these people? And why is it that there are others that I just cannot stand being around? Why are there family members that I want to be with... And others that I wish Thanksgiving and Christmas would never come in their world, so I'd never have to interact with them. Why do my emotions run the range that they do? What am I feeling today? And why do I feel that way? Now, I get it. Some of us who are such concrete thinkers are like, who cares and why do we need to spend any time thinking about that? Because as Socrates said, know thyself. It's vitally important that you understand yourself if you're ever going to make progress. So one of the things that Celebrate Recovery does so well is it helps you to unpack. It doesn't just teach you not to do this bad behavior. It helps you to unpack, what is it that drives me to that? It unpacks the old wounds that, that lie behind this stuff. Unless you're willing to do that, you won't get better. And then the fourth one I'll mention is this. That we ought to spend time studying, considering, reflecting on and pondering the events of our time and the values of our culture. Not just what people say their values are, but what's really going on in the world and what's really going on in our culture. If we don't do this, we'll be like the frog in the kettle. That the temperature just gradually changes over time and that frog could have hopped out at any point. But he never noticed it was getting hotter and he'll just sit right there and boil to death. Because it was a gradual change. If you're not intentional to study, think about, reflect on what's happening in the culture and the world around you, you will become like it. And you can do this at all kinds of levels. I mean, some of them aren't necessarily dramatic, but they matter. I mean, just consider questions worth pondering. When you think about the impact of technology on our culture today, would you agree technology is tremendously impacting our culture? Like we're always in touch there's some real good that comes with that. We've all got cell phones. We're always in touch. But then there's the other side of that. We're always in touch. We can always be reached. We're always available. Is this a good thing? And I, I'm not asking you to necessarily answer right now, but I'm just saying there are all kinds of spinoff questions just in relation to culture and communication are always being available. How about social media? I can have 1,462 friends on Facebook. Actually, I'm a loser. I have no friends on Facebook. I'm the only person you know who has a Facebook account and no friends. That's the case, literally. I I just do it so that I can do the church's Facebook. (laughs) But, you know, my daughters, one of them has over a thousand friends. The other one, several hundred friends. That's just very true of that generation. They have a bazillion friends. They're friends through the computer. They're friends through the Internet. How is social media impacting real relationships with flesh and blood people? And the ability to actually interact meaningfully and support one another. Is it good? Is it bad? What's, the, what's it really doing? I mean, we can just go on and on. You can think about things on a, on a national or global level. We just had an election cycle that really can teach us a lot. Have you given any real thought to it? We've had an election cycle. This is not an attempt to bash anybody, but we've had an election cycle where the two candidates that we honed in on clearly as a as a overall voting populace, we did not care about integrity because all kinds of issues came out regardless of which of the two main candidates you supported that just demonstrated a willingness to throw you know truth aside, don't have to tell the truth about anything, all kinds of integrity issues that are raised. And no one seemed to care. Perfectly willing to elect whichever candidate. From whichever party with no regard for integrity. Again, I'm I'm not attacking the candidates. I'm talking about America. What are we to learn from this and how are we to respond to this? You know, you can think about things on a global scale. We're always at war with somebody. And it's usually the latest face of Islam... I mean, today we all know their name as ISIS, but 15 years ago it was Al-Qaeda, and before that it was Hamas or Hezbollah or the PLO. But whoever you kill this month, whoever you kill this year, rest assured it will grow a new head, and it will still represent Islam, and it will still be just as bloody and as violent, and we'll have to deal with them in the next decade. And the decade after that, rest assured, it will be another group that is militant Islam, and it will have a new name. And I'm not talking about, oh, we should get rid of the military. I'm not saying that at all. But you don't have to reflect very long to realize, oh, my goodness, there is not a military solution to this problem. I mean, the short term solution is kill them all, right? We, we all know the easiest solution is just kill them all. No, that, that doesn't do it because it'll grow in your head next year or next decade. Rest assured it will. So there is no long term solution just through the military. What are the bigger solutions? To problems like this. Not easy answers to some of this stuff. But you get my point. There should be no one on earth. Who's more dialed in and more insightful. Than the followers of Christ. Because study is one of the fundamental disciplines of our faith. Study of God's word. But study of people and human interactions. Study of events. Of culture and of values. Once again. We'll close where where I was earlier. Jesus said, the most important command in your life is that you love God more than anything else. And that you should love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. God wants to transform us, but in order to transform our behavior, he has to transform our minds. Loving God with our minds means that we become real students who are careful to focus our attention on his word And on what he would teach us through what's going on around us. And here's the really cool thing. As we learn to do this, study sounds like such a negative, heavy, hard word. Like, oh, there's something more I've got to do. Actually, this kind of study is not burdensome. And the result of this kind of study is it brings great joy. Because we wind up encountering more of God and our lives wind up reflecting more of his character as a result. So give it time. Would you join me right now as we're going to just turn our attention back to him in prayer? It may be that as you've listened to what we've been talking about today, that the thing that just immediately comes to mind for you is the realization, first of all, that maybe studying God's Word isn't a priority. It just hasn't been. And it may be that you're eating up with a case of the ought-tos this morning. Oh, I know I ought to. I ought to do more of that. But if you're really honest with yourself, it may very well be that there's just not a desire there. I'm not here to beat you up over that. We've all had times when we felt that way. And if this morning you realize, I've got a broken water this morning because I don't really want to get in the Word. Or my water's working, but my my follow-through stinks. I want to be a student of the Word, but you check me next Sunday and I probably won't have been in the Word. This is where we need God's help. Meshed with our discipline. And so why don't you just be honest with God in prayer right now as we turn to Him. And just tell Him exactly where you are. This is a key discipline. If we're going to experience change and freedom. The truth will set you free. But it will only set you free. If you abide in and follow the teachings of Jesus. So why don't we just together. Just get honest before God if you're hungry for his word and you've been diving in his word and it's fresh and good why don't you thank him for giving you that desire and for how he's revealing himself to you right now and if right now you realize the desire isn't there would you just ask God for that he is so willing to supply that would you just say God would you today stir up in me a new hunger and a thirst for your word and for more of you And if a desire is there, but you're just so struggling to find the time, would you ask Him to just help you be disciplined about that? God, thank You for how You reveal Yourself through the world around us, through the people around us, through Your church, through Your Word. Would You help us to be faithful students of that? I pray that this week... You'd help us for many who just are kind of lost in quiet time to just dive in, to find a point and to start into a new book and to read it to completion. And I pray that every day as we go to your word, that it wouldn't just be a learning exercise with written words on a page, but that we would see that for what it is, a fresh encounter with the living God. We thank you for that. Thank you for your love for us and for your pursuit of us. And we pray these things in the wonderful, matchless name of our Lord Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much.